I was a kid of the 70s, and being a kid of the 70s, there were six of us in nine years in my uh, family. I have three older sisters and two younger brothers. We added a younger brother a little bit later. But the year was 1977. I was in elementary school, and our family was going to do something very special. We were actually going to the movies, not just the drive-in. We've been to the drive-in before, pop your own popcorn and be in the drive-in. We were actually going to the cinema. And when the lights went down and the music began to play and the words began to script across a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It was like nothing I had ever seen before. And then you break into that opening scene where Princess Leia's ship is under attack. And there she is, and she's putting a little card or something into a little R2-D2 droid. And, and R2 and C-3PO are shot out of a pod, and they're going to land down in Tatooine, and, and they're they're going to meet uh, Luke Skywalker's uncle, and Luke Skywalker is going to bring them to Ben Kenobi, and then that little image of Princess Leia laying out her plea and crying out, saying, "This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You know the rest. You're my, my, you're my only hope." What, man, mind-blowing. And I will tell you, that movie still carries so much nostalgia with it. That is like one of my favorites of all time. But we think about that, whether it was a galaxy a long, a long, long time ago and a galaxy far, far away or not, we do find right here where we are, we found ourselves in a desperate situation. Because of our nature and choices, we are sinners separated from a holy God. And there's only one hope. And hope is found in one person. His name is Jesus. And so as we think about hope, our genuine hope, not just for life, but for eternity, is found in him and found in him because of his work on the cross for us. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to pick up in verse number 25. As we're looking at Jesus has been taken to the cross. And he is on the cross at this time. And it says this in John 19, 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. 
with that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and your goodness that you've shown us in Jesus. May we leave this place knowing that, Jesus, you are the only way. You are our only hope. In your name we pray. Amen. As we peel back the pages of Scripture and we look at who the person of Jesus is, it's very interesting that we find Jesus is one person, but Jesus has two natures. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully God. He has a divine nature. And so as you look throughout the Bible, you see that the attitude, the, the attributes that are shown to God are also shared and shown to be in the life of Jesus. That Jesus possesses the attributes of God. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is all-powerful and all-wise. Jesus is uh, holy. Jesus is is unchanging. Jesus possesses the attributes of God, but Jesus not only possesses the attributes of God, Jesus performs the acts of God in his life. When Jesus looks down at a man and says, son, your sins are forgiven, he is doing something only God can do. He is performing the action of God. When he speaks to wind and to waves and says, peace, be still, He is showing that he is fully God. He demonstrates the power of God. When he opens blind eyes, when he brings the dead back to life, we find that Jesus clearly performs the works and actions of God. And then Jesus also shares many of the same names of God. We look at God and his name, the I am in the Old Testament. And Jesus says in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. We find that in the Old Testament, the Lord is my shepherd. In the New Testament, we find Jesus is the good shepherd. We find that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is fully God. And yet at the same time, Jesus not only has a divine nature, but a human nature. Now, he does not have a fallen, sinful nature, but he has a human nature. And we find that Jesus experienced the same things that we experience in life. Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. It tells us that she uh, brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Jesus was born. Jesus grew in Luke 2.52. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus experienced the, the, the feelings in life that we do. Jesus had times when he was hungry or tired, where he was thirsty. Jesus experienced the gamuts of, of emotion, of knowing sadness and mourning, of even weeping. Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted, just like you and I know what it's like to be tempted. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. One person, but two natures. And that's the way it had to be. And because it happened that way, because God stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus, we find that the key is this, and this is our hope, that Jesus relates to us 
And Jesus mediates for us so that we can experience a relationship with God and have eternal life. Jesus relates to us because he took on fingers and knees and elbows. Jesus relates to us, but Jesus also mediates for us in that he is the only way. Fully God, fully man being the mediator for us today. So I want to tell you that there is hope in the person of Jesus. But I want us to think of this in three different angles today. First off, I want us to think about Jesus in his humanity. Jesus' humanity brings us hope. Jesus in his humanity brings us hope. Jesus, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, it says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So that Jesus, again, he is that bridge. He is that mediator between us as mankind and a holy and awesome and wonderful God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. But let's think about that humanity just for a moment. Because of the humanity of Jesus, Jesus being fully God but being in the flesh experienced physical suffering. Now, some of you know what it's like to go through times of physical suffering in your life and physical difficulty. Some of you know what it is like to experience physical pain in your life. And I will tell you, Jesus relates and understands what you are going through as you go through the challenges of life. See, every lash of the Roman centurion upon the back of Jesus was felt. When we think about nails going into his hand on my end table in my office, I have a cross, and on it it has a railroad uh, tie. It, it has the, one of those big nails, and then it has a flat rock, and it reminds me of the cross and the empty tomb. But think about that just for a moment. CDC tells us that two-thirds of children and one-fourth of adults have anxiety around needles Shots, you like them? Are you a, a pro shot person? You like those shots? Yeah, you, you know, now you go to the dentist office and they put the blood pressure monitor on you. Man, when I'm at the hygienist and just getting my teeth clean, dude, I'm fine. I am great. You put me on the other side of that wall when it's time to get a cavity filled and man, I'm not a shot guy. They say, Oh man, look at your blood pressure. I said, Yeah, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And even though it doesn't really even hurt, it's still the thought of it. But here what we find is that Jesus in his humanity felt every lash and he felt the pain of the nails going into his hands, going into his feet. Jesus felt it. He knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to face the hardship and the pain of life. And not just the physical suffering. But what comes along with that physical suffering is knowing that he was betrayed by a friend, knowing that his disciples had fled and he was basically alone. See, there's a lot of all of that going on. Jesus experienced physical suffering, but Jesus also experienced physical death. Jesus not only experienced physical suffering, but Jesus experienced physical death. He experienced 
death. Now, notice with me in verse number 30. It says, when he said it is finished, then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In his divine nature, we understand that this is so unique because God cannot die. In Psalm 90, in verse number 2, it says, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is eternal. He is everlasting. But Jesus, because he took on humanity, could experience death. So why did he experience death? 1 Peter 2, 24 tells us that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Or, or 1 Corinthians 15, 3, where it says that Christ died for our sins. Or 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So that when Jesus died on the cross, all of the punishment and penalty for our sin was placed upon him, and he experienced physical death. Now, it's almost unbelievable to try to comprehend how Jesus, though, in complete control, bows his head and gives up his spirit, we recognize that Jesus truly did die. These Roman executioners, they were professionals and they did their job well and they did it regularly and they knew by the time they put the spear in his side, he was gone. He was dead. Jesus took our sin. That's the hope of Jesus for us. Christ died for our sin. Listen, you, you can't, you can't atone for your own sin. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't do enough good. You can't give enough, serve enough, go to church enough. So Jesus had to pay the penalty and he took the wrath of God and our punishment upon him. And because of that, we have Hope. The humanity of Christ brings hope. But not only do we find the humanity of Christ brings hope, but secondly, we we think about the deity of Christ brings hope. The deity of Christ. That Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. That Jesus being fully man and being a having a human nature was able to say no to sin. And in his divine nature was not able to sin so that he was a perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus, when we look at his life and we look at the penalty that he was going to pay, he had to be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was. If you look at Jesus's life, Jesus never had a thought. Jesus never said a word. Jesus never had an action. That was out of God's will for his life. Matter of fact, if you look at the witnesses in the New Testament, we find all about nine different witnesses that speak to the righteousness and the sinlessness of Jesus. We find Pilate saying, look, I I find no charge or no fault in him. Pilate's wife was warned in a dream not to have anything to do with this righteous man. Judas, he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. 
He knew Jesus did nothing wrong. The thief on the cross. Both of them at one time were railing. And then the one turns to the other and says, don't you see here? We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Even the Roman centurion who was there at the death of Jesus would say, truly, this was a righteous man. Then we start to look at the characters of the New Testament and we think of the Apostle Paul said, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Or Peter would say that he committed no sin and in his mouth was found no deceit in 1 Peter 1, 22. Or John would say that there was no sin in him in 1 John 3, 5. Or that the writer of Hebrews would say he was in every way tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. Now, we can't say that for anybody else. As good as you want to be and good as you might think you are, if we just went out and polled nine different people that knew you or walked with you or saw you through a crisis or watched you in a heartache or were as close to you as John and Peter were to Jesus, spending three years with him, surely they would have been able to find a fault somewhere. But they could find no fault because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. But not only was he a perfect sacrifice, he was a sufficient sacrifice. And this is where our hope is is found. Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice. When he declares in John 19.30, it is finished. He is showing his power over sin and his defeat of sin as he has taken the wrath of God upon himself. As we think of that, it is finished phrase, it is one word in the Greek, it is the word tetelestai. It was used in different frameworks of that day. It was used at different times and in different ways, but it had basically the same meaning. As we think of that word, it would have been a word used by a servant. A servant, when he was given a job by his master and he went and did the job and then completed the task, he could come back and say to Telestai, I've completed what you've called me to do. I've done the work that you wanted me to do. And in John chapter 17, verse number four, as Jesus is praying, he says, Father, glorify yourself. I have completed the work which you've called me to do. Jesus completed God's work. It was not only used by a servant, This word was also used by the priests. When we think about the priests of that day, when they would look at a sacrifice that was a perfect sacrifice, without spot, without blemish, it was complete. It was perfect. They had a finality of being able to present it to God. They would be able to declare to Telestai over this sacrifice. It is complete. It is perfect. It is exactly what is needed for this occasion. The priest would use it. When we think about the world of art, we think about an artist and their painting or their sculpting, and they would finish their work, and we would think of them putting our, putting, of us in our day, putting our name on it. They would be able to step back from their work and say, to Telestai, the painting, the work of art, the sculpting, it is complete. 
and how beautiful God's portrait and painting of his redemptive work, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the first sin, when he would speak to the serpent and say, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will uh, crush your head and you'll only bruise his heel. From there, God put into play this picture of a Messiah who was going to come through the family of Abraham and through the tribe of Judah and through the lineage of David and be carried by a virgin and delivered in Bethlehem. That even before he was born, Isaiah 53 would say that he was basically born to die. He would be wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. And this beautiful portrait of God's redemptive plan was coming to place. It was having its final moments in this picture as Jesus declares, It is finished. God, I have taken the weight and the wrath of the uh, of sin and I've paid it. Oh, that's the picture. But most of all, this was a term not just used in by a servant or by a priest or by an artist, but primarily this was a merchant term. This was an accounting term. When something was paid in full, they would be able to snap or, or, to tell us die on it, that the debt was paid in full, that everything's paid up. It, it's that it's that joy of of sending in that final car payment, and you get back in the mail, you know, the the title or the note that says you no longer owe anything on this debt. It's the joy of that moment of saying, "Look, everything has been paid, and I am am, am completely reconciled with that bank that I borrowed money from." And now, here a merchant would say, "Look, you're completely reconciled. Your debt has been paid, and now." Jesus declares to Telestai, I have completely paid your debt of sin. It has been paid. It has been paid in full. And it is absolutely sufficient to forgive your sins. That's our hope. That is our hope. And that's the only hope that we have. That Jesus and his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. And now has paved a way. Jesus relates to us in his humanity, but he mediates for us so that we can have forgiveness and eternal life, a relationship with God. We can have eternal security in him. Don't you think it interesting in the Old Testament? Think about the Old Testament just for a moment. People would bring sacrifices. There were daily sacrifices that every day the priest would get up and bring. And then monthly, there would be special offerings and sacrifices that would come in. Then... Three times a year at Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles or sometimes called Sukkot, people would come into Jerusalem and they would pack it out and they would be offering sacrifices. And now Jesus says, it's done. It's done. My death is sufficient. Let me share quickly on how the the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter 10. He says this, Hebrews chapter 10, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, 
after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was the great high priest. Jesus was the great sacrifice. And his sacrifice was absolutely sufficient. If you know Jesus, you've trusted Jesus, you've been to the cross. Can I tell you today? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins of the past, your sins of the present, and yes, even your sins of the future. They've all been paid for by Jesus already. They've been paid for. Jesus paid it all. Jesus has given his life. His sacrifice was absolutely sufficient. So that at that moment we die, we don't have to worry about trying to atone for ourselves or going to a place where we have to pay for our sin. No, instead, we can enter straight into the presence of God, absent from this body, present with the Lord, because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Hey, the deity of Christ brings hope. The humanity of Christ brings hope. But thirdly, we see as we look at this passage, the availability of Christ brings hope. And I want to drive this home with what John says in John chapter 19. Slide down just a couple of verses from where we read. John chapter 19 in verse number 35. It says this. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth. John writes, so that you also may believe. As John is writing this letter, he's writing to people and say, look, Jesus' death was good enough for you. Jesus' death is available to you. Jesus gives an invitation to you. And he says, come and believe. Come and believe. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive eternal life. There's only one way. And I will tell you, Jesus is available. Jesus is. The picture in the book of Revelation is he stands at the door of a church and knocks because the church has kind of put him out. But I believe that we can take that on a personal level to say that there are times in our life where Jesus, through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to us about the sinfulness of our life. And I've heard people say, oh, man, I'm going to clean myself up and go to church one day. I'm going to clean myself up and get right with God. Can I tell you? Jesus has already paid it all. And he doesn't call you to clean yourself up. He calls you to believe. He calls you to follow. Yeah, he calls you to turn from sin, to trust him alone. But Jesus does the cleansing. Jesus does the working. And through the Holy Spirit's power in our life, he does great things. Notice, as we think about this passage in John chapter 19, Jesus has already said it is finished and he gave up his spirit and he died. And then John says, and now I'm calling you to believe. No one's going to get to heaven and say, man, I was good enough to get here. No one's going to get to heaven and say, man, I worked really hard to clean myself up. I sure volunteered a lot of hours at the church. I sure gave a lot of money to a lot of hurting people. No one's going to be able to say anything like that. The only thing we're going to be able to say is we believed. We believed. And that's the purpose of John's writing to begin with. In John 20, 31, John says, These things are written that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Life, forgiveness, heaven, security. Some of you may have had God around you all of your life, but you've never invited truly come to a place where you've received Jesus in you. It's possible. It's possible to come to church and hang out with church people and feel good around church people and sing and give and and maybe even teach, do all these service things, be involved in missions. You can do all of those things and keep Jesus out here. But the picture is, is you have to personally come to a place where you believe. You trust him alone as the only way of salvation. As the one who was fully God, fully man, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now offers eternal life. Have you trusted him? Have you received Jesus as Savior? If you've never done that, we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to give you an opportunity right now. For those of us who are believers, we've heard this message and we're going on our, you know, 70th Easter. You've heard it all. I want to tell you, there is a call of the cross that Jesus would would have a call. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, do you really believe that I did that for you? That I invite you. Come along. Make a difference. I have you here for a reason. It's not just to have a job and have money, buy a house, buy a car. I have you here for an eternal reason. Because people don't know yet. People are young in their faith and they need to be encouraged in it yet. That's why I have you here. So, are you willing to say yes today? I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. First off, if you don't know for certain that you know Jesus today, you may have had God around you, you but you're not certain that you've truly believed The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. And it comes through really just placing your faith in him alone. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call on him. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Lord, I'm willing to turn from my sin and follow Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead and are alive today. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Come into my life. For those of you who are believers today, the Lord's calling you, saying, I have you here for a reason. There are people who need to hear the message of Jesus. Would you follow me? Would you speak up? Would you live differently? so that my glory is shown through your life. Lord, I pray that you take these next moments of reflection and invitation. God, that you would move in your name. Amen.